Big Ten Plus Four is a member of Odd Pods Media and ASAP All Sports All Plays Network. Hello and welcome into Big Ten Plus for college sports with a bit of Midwest perspective, blue collar and blue blood. That's Sam Sprunger. I'm Dalton Shetler. Sam, how are we doing today? Oh, glad to see you back from your little vacation. I guess yeah, you know, little now sun. You're, you see it? Yeah, your 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 wife said goodbye to you until May of next year. Um, so. Gosh, that's actually kind of what happened. It's <laughs> it's sad but beautiful at the same time. I'm doing well other than that. So uh, I'm gl- I'm always glad to have you back in uh, on the show with me. Tony from ASAP covered very, very well. So uh, not Thanks, anything, uh, uh, not anything that the, the show always suffers without you, Dalton. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> Is it getting smoky in here? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, nonetheless, um, actually, a bit of a fun note for the listeners. Uh, usually, our schedules are really wonky, and sometimes we have to record ahead of time. Um, but this show today is live here on That's this right. Friday morning. A uh, big part of the reason why, besides that the schedule's worked out, we have a very special guest that we're expecting to join us here in just a couple of minutes, and we'll get to him. But it's Rafael Davis, Purdue Super. basketball alum. Super excited about this being a yeah. Purdue fan and then also having him be so knowledgeable and uh, in working at the big 10 network. Yeah, no, this is, this is going to be a lot of fun. So we'll get him in here in a minute. And if you, you stay with us into the second half, we're going to talk about the historic and monumental big 10 TV deal. That was inked uh, just this week that yeah. really kind of sets the new bar and the new precedent. When you look at the market, when it comes to media rights between conferences, but uh, seven years north of $7 billion. And there's some interesting clauses in that contract that might even make that jackpot a little bit bigger. So we'll get to some of that a little bit later on. Um, but, I'm, interested so ahead, in ask, I'm interested in asking Rafael about it too, because it's going to affect basketball just the same, even though it's a football deal. Especially with some of it being streamed. Peacock is going to be yeah. involved with this and, and integrated. Then, of course, you still have BTM Plus or and if you're watching some of the Olympic sports of yeah. FS1. Uh, but I believe we do have Rafael with us here at Big Ten Plus Four. So Let's we'll welcome bring Rafael him on. Hey, how you guys doing? Hey. Rafael Davis, how are we, man? I'm doing well. Well, I'm we'll get sure to why you can't. Not sure why you can't see me. I don't know why my camera's not working. <laughs> oh, you're fine. Well, you, you go ahead and start working on the camera. We'll talk about Rafael a little bit because, uh, as, as our listeners know, uh, both Sam and I grew up in Northeast Indiana, and yep. Rafael grew up there as well. He uh, was in Fort Wayne, went to Southside High School before transferring over to La Lumiere, the prep school that's really well known for basketball, still just yeah. pumping out D1 recruits time after time. Then he goes to Purdue, and uh, we're going to be talking. Talking about all of the different stops in his career uh, here in just a moment. And we'll talk about the broadcasting, as you mentioned, too, because Ray Felt, Sam, has has really turned into to quite the broadcaster for Big Ten basketball. Well, I tell you what, whenever whenever I'm watching Big Ten Network and they go to the studio, uh, the big games, he's on there. So I'm, I'm really excited to be able to to chat with such a well-known dude 
in the Big Ten world. Yeah, no, this is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> well, Rafael, let's uh, let's go ahead and get things started, though. Besides all of those different stops, I, I think maybe an appropriate spot is what's maybe the most recent in your bigger than basketball foundation in the basketball camps you put together. Can you can you explain to listeners who may be out of tune of what that is, uh, what you are doing, and what inspires you, Rafael? Because you can be doing anything right now. <clears throat> I guess I. Uh... I guess what inspires me, if I had to start there, will be being, um, I always tell people to tell myself to be the adult you wish you had when you were a child. I mean, even if, I mean, I had great parents, I had great uncles and aunts and AAU coaches or whatnot, but we all still yearn for that adult that we just kind of want to create in our head or that perfect adult or what that perfect mentor looks like. So to me, it's just all about being that to someone else or being that to just the world. So for me, and then also when I was coming up, I got, well, I got tall early. I'm not gonna say I got good early, but I got tall early. So I was about <laughs> like what you see now with a mustache and I was about six, three in like eighth grade. So I had, um, I tell people all the time, my recruitment went different with, uh, because I was a little taller, had some skills. We had Ray McCullum senior, who was an assistant at IU at the time at my eighth grade game. So um, oh, wow. I was at IU Elite Camp 2008 with Eric Gordon. I mean, like all types of those dudes. So I was young, but it went fast for me. And, and I attribute a lot of it to my size, to um, the people I had in my circle. I just a pretty powerful. I mean, think about this, the Indy Heat out of Fort Wayne, Jim Rass Indy Heat. It's just a pretty powerful group with the Hensley family. At that time, Bill Hensley was still alive, and he pulled a lot of strings in the background. So. <clears throat> for myself, being seen early, I think I met Purdue, met Coach Owens going into freshman year. I committed after freshman year. So I committed to Purdue, I was 15. So I got to see it a little differently. So I always kind of understood if you have the right people around you, I mean, even if you aren't, if even if you can't go left yet, <laughs> you can still you can still go to college. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. being that to others is always big to me. But then also realizing now, AAU and Youth basketball specifically is just getting out of hand, cost wise. Basketball camps at three, four hundred dollars. AAU teams, I just saw AAU team was two grand for the like for the year, and all they get is games and maybe like I was two. Say times. that's just the play, right? That's, yeah, that's just, just the play. That's not, then, then training, and then you think about the traveling, the hotels, then also just the the training. If you want to be good, most players, most kids get a trainer, and that's going to get you. I've seen. I've seen – and no disrespect to anybody. I'm a trainer as well, so I'll speak against myself when I say stuff like this. But I've seen guys that never even played high school ball charging $60, $75 an hour. And for myself, I I didn't play an NBA or on anything of that sort, but I think I did okay at Purdue. And I don't think we've ever went above 45 bucks, And that was because a parent forced me to take it. So it's a thing <laughs> where I don't understand when – when the game has took this shift to just now you have, I don't know if you guys have seen, you have AAU in the fall. Now you're starting to see AAU tryouts starting in September, which is normally rec ball, fall ball, getting ready for high school ball. Now it's, it's all become a money grab. So for me, it was, um, first I tried to get the programs in my hometown to kind of buy into uh, allowing kids to play. Because for me with that, with the cost and uh, where it is and the game has shifted. If, I don't know if you guys I have a philosophy. It's my philosophy. I don't know if anybody else believes well, in it, it, but the game yeah. is um it used the game is more um 
it's a more middle class game now. Now it's um, where it used to be just being transparent. You would have a lot of kids from the inner city making yeah. it, or even you would have kids from the so when I was growing up, you had kids from the suburbs coming to play with our teams. You had kids, kids that want to be on the better teams, and you would go to inner city to find the best team. And now it's in a sense where you got to go to the suburbs and pay that fee to even be on the team. And now it's not even about being on the best team because it's so many teams that it's all diluted down. And then if you want to play for free, you have to just be 6'3", mustache, eighth grade. They already know you're going to go to school. Then, then you may have a chance at the NBA. If you're unathletic, 12, 13-year-old, and then you say you get good late, like a Sidney Curry who went to a Louisville or Malik Williams ended up at Louisville, those guys <clears throat> weren't looked at in the city as youngins. That's why when they got older, they didn't play for the biggest programs in the city because they weren't looked at by them as young kids. But long story short, basketball in my home and my neighborhood has gotten worse. Long story short, it's just not as good as it once was. You think about it was a time where you had started with Cam Stevens, who ended up going to Purdue. You had um, Ryan, I mean, you had Ryan Sims, J.R. Sims. You had Reggie Hearn at Northwestern. You had Shante Jones in Nebraska, Deshaun Thomas, All American, Ohio State. <laughs> You had um, just a lot of different – every year you had James Blackman, Bryson Britton Scott, you had B.J. Russell Bird. You had Russell Bird in there. You had James Kanapke, Zach Terrell went off to play yeah. football, Jalen Smith football. I mean, it just was a time where every year, even James Hardy, DeMarlo Belcher, number one and number two all time, the receiving leaders at IU. <clears throat> so it was a time where the neighborhood was really cranking out talent, and now it's just not – to that anymore. You maybe have one right now, Bronte Johnson, he's a sophomore, maybe a junior this year, but there's not, especially in basketball, it's just, and I see it because it's one, it's expensive. Two, if you can't afford it, you can't play. And then three, the YMCA closed, the church league, the upward bound church league closed, the youth center closed, and now you have to pay to get in the rec center. So it's just a lot of different things where if you don't have money to go play out there, all the leagues and stuff are shut down here. There's no winter leagues, fall leagues like you guys would see for youth. So in a long, long-winded way, I, I wanted to just not complain about that anymore and do it ourselves. And that's kind of what led us to this point. And then um, so that was kind of the the reason and one of the reasons. And then <clears throat> two would be, <clears throat> um, I would say just the, a lot of kids I grew up with, and I mean, now adults will be adults. I look back and, like I said, I was taller than them, but they were better than me. I see a lot of them as. And a lot of them didn't have the mentors I had, the guidance I had. My father was a retired police officer in the neighborhood. He had a, if I couldn't walk left for him not find out. So if I look back at my high school team, my junior season at Southside before I transferred to Lalamere, um, Three of my teammates are in prison for the rest of their life. Three of my teammates hmm. are dead. And Goodness. when you look at that ratio, it's only 10 of us that were varsity players. The other two came up from JV or whatever. So 60% of our high school team is were, no, were either dead or in prison. And I don't mean prison. <clears throat> sorry, my voice. I don't mean prison like a five-year sentence. I mean, talk to a guy yesterday. He's doing 115 years. And oh he still wow. has his spirits up. And he still, it's one of those things where, so I look at that. He, the, the, that guy, he could have been, I mean, he was better than Jalen Smith. And Jalen Smith is in the NFL doing well. He was, 
at that age when we were young, he was the guy. And then it just, he didn't, then he raised himself. So long story short, my thing is how can we affect that? How can we help others? I had a mom text me yesterday, just asking if I knew anybody that was, had a twin bed. She'd have a twin bed, her son was sleeping on the couch. So doing things like that, helping families, but then also with those kids that are just not going to be athletic, like the kids that are love basketball, but they're just not going to play. They uh, just won't make the high school team. And, but teaching them how to not give up on basketball, because sometimes a kid loves hoop. And rather if it's a suburban kid or inner city kid, country kid, you love hoop. And then you, if it doesn't happen for you in high school, now you have that idle time after school to go get into whatever you want to get into or do whatever you want to do, or or you could just feel bad about yourself and just kind of sit in it. So my thing is teaching the kids that um, it's bigger than just playing a game. It's bigger than basketball. You could, uh, I mean, you could grow up and be Sam and Dalton. You could have a podcast and talk about basketball and still be in the loop of game. You could be a coach, a trainer. Yeah. Like I tell the story of um, <clears throat> Drew Anthrop, probably top three. I don't know if he knows this. He probably top three or top five. <clears throat> I give Drew top three of my teammates all time. I've ever played with, not wow. just at Purdue. Like Drew Anthrop was his senior year, my freshman year. He's the only guy that ever took minutes from me, and I understood why. Like I accepted it. He's the only guy. I didn't get mad at him. I, I just, I got it. It made sense. No matter who was a walk on or not. I just always had a higher respect for Drew because I just knew he saw it different. And then years later, you see Drew win an NBA championship ring with the Lakers, not as a player. And then you see Instagram video go viral with LeBron James training his two sons. And I see, I'm seeing Drew give handoffs to LeBron James. So it's like showing kids don't understand it can go be a video coordinator or person trainer, player development for the Lakers and still be in the NBA, getting a check from the Lakers and showing them that side of it, especially with me. Probably the biggest joy I get out of being on the Big Ten Network is um, because before – before going into it, I would tell the kids all of this stuff. I'll tell them that you can go and be a trainer. You can go and be a Stephen A. Smith or be on TV. And it was, I mean, I was a kid before. Somebody can tell you stuff all day. But then once they saw me on the network and they saw me come back and they already think they're smarter than me, they, <laughs> they see that if I could do it, they could do it. You know what I mean? So they got to see it real life. They got, it was no longer those dudes on TV. Now they knew one. And sometimes when you know one, it just feels a little more real to you. So doing that, showing them different avenues through basketball. And then also just for the kids that, and I know it's a lie, it's a question a long way, but for the kids that their parents, some parents just need help, honestly. Some parents just need a place in the summer to drop their son or daughter off from nine to three, make sure they get two meals. They're around men and women they trust. And while they're at work, they want help. Or even if it's Christmas break and your mom still got to work on Christmas break, you're at home all day. Some parents just would like that support. And if it's some people call it babysitting service, whatever. But for those kids that maybe they don't love basketball, maybe they're just there because they need to get out the way. We bring in professionals like, um, for example, we brought in a I was a pharmaceutical sales referee like Lily for four years. So I brought in a teammate of mine to come and talk to the kids, a pharmaceutical sales rep. And this is a cool story. We were down in Atlanta. And before he started speaking, I asked the kids how many of them knew what a pharmaceutical rep was. None of them knew. And honestly, just mm. transparent. Nobody knew. I And at that age, I didn't know either. I did not right. know until I was in college, honestly. And then um, I asked the kids, I'm very transparent. And I 
sometimes kids grow up faster than what we think. So at this age, I was understand. I was savvy to certain things. So I asked them, how many of you guys know what a drug dealer is or know a drug dealer? Everybody in the circle raised their hand. Mm. Everybody raised their hand. Everybody, I mean, everybody knows at that age. I mean, that neighborhood, you know. And it was a thing where I got to show them a legal way to sell drugs. <laughs> sell it to right. get Sell diabetes medicines. I mean, insulins and stuff like that. And the kids are just blown away. And one of the kids I heard say, when I was my guy, he dresses real fly. He wears all the nice stuff. And he's been a rep for like 35 years. So he's making the big bucks. He um, He's like in his designer Louis Vuitton stuff. And one of the kids goes, I didn't know you could uh, dress like that or have like stuff like that with a real job. And I think so many times some kids, especially where you grow up, you either see poor or you see a lot of money. And sometimes the person with a lot of money, they're not getting it the right way. So you see the nice cars, the nice clothes, or then you see the NBA player that may come back every summer or the rapper or something like that. So you're either seeing poor or rich. Like I had a teammate one time at Purdue. At Purdue. It was a teammate at Purdue. He told us. We were like talking. And he was mentally, he was so backwards that he told us that I can't live. We were talking about paint. And we're talking about one of our assistants in the salaries. He wanted, he could not, he wanted paint salary. Like he wanted that. That's what he had to get. And he looked at one of our assistant salaries around 250. He said, I can't live off of 250. I can't have a good life off of 250. And I almost wanted to like slap him in the face. Cause at that age, I had a wow. kid already. I kind of knew life. Man. Now I bet at this point in his life, he will wish that he had the 250. You get what I'm saying? So, Sometimes mm -hmm. you just don't know what you don't know. So we bring a lot of those jobs in that you could make a hundred thousand, 115,000, 80,000 and support your family, take vacation and do nice things. But that's just kind of, I know I answered it in a long way, but that's kind of the basis of it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> no, it's, uh, there's a lot of life lessons in there. So uh, you're kind of expelling some of that, right, Phil? Um, I do have a billion questions off of that. And I do want to be respectful of your time. So I don't want to drive you for 45 minutes here, but I do have a couple <laughs> thoughts from that one. There was a, a pretty popular moment on social media where, uh, you had tweeted out a picture of a young boy playing basketball in the middle of the street and the rim was crooked. Like if you're following me on video right now, you can see like crooked and you're like, Hey, what, what can we do to, to try and get a new basketball hoop together? You and some other Purdue alums and some other just basketball people from the area started putting money together to, to try and get this young boy, the hoop. And I believe it came through. So what's the update? What, what do we know about this young boy? Um, no, they, the kids were playing on the busted basket. And like I said, uh, we saw someone reached out to me and kind of informed me of the situation. I got to see it and kind of Put my hands on it and then um like i said like you said it went to twitter and kind of just sent out a random tweet it was middle of the night too i didn't I had no honestly i had it was middle of the night i had no idea that it would get that much traction to be honest but um <laughs> we got him a better real kind of i mean probably the best portable basketball hoop i could find it was really nice got it sent over we were going to have some guys come over and set it up for them and before i could mm. even get the guys there the kids had already set up the basket themselves they were already playing on it so that was um that was a real cool moment because and then when I sent it, I didn't put who was from or anything. I just put anonymous. I just like it just the brim came out of mid thin air, 
And so, I mean, it's kind of like they set it up because they didn't know if it was really theirs or whose who was. Or, I thought that wasn't super cool. But no, they've been the mom. It's a, a mom and two boys. And they moved into a home where they can live in a home as long as the mom works for the job. And that's kind of the living situation. It's not, I guess, ideal, but you got to do what you got to do. Um, they're, they're from the inner city area. And they just moved to like a suburban area. So they're kind of struggling to mix in with the uh, I kind of had that feeling going from south side to Lalamere. It's um it's an adjustment. It's um you go from something and it's the complete opposite end of it. And um they're adjusting there but they're doing well they're playing we got um now we're trying to get some more things for them just to have them like shoes like stuff like that. So it's been going well. They um uh, they're good kids. They wrote um yeah like I'm saying so it's like you could tell they took upon themselves you could just because the verbiage and the handwriting, they wrote a letter just thanking thanking us and wanting to do be a part. And no, nah, it's just been a great. To, it was great to help those boys. That's really cool. That's awesome. I, I, yeah, that is. It's it's amazing. I tell you what, for uh, the time reason, let's go ahead and and hit the first quarter break real quick. Sam, Rafael, stay with us. It just takes two seconds. Actually, it's one unless I take time <laughs> once. <laughs> but anyways, as long as it works. <laughs> All right, we'll get into the second quarter here. Uh, talking with Ray Fell about a lot of different things. And uh, now kind of want to switch over. You talked a little bit about being an influence and an inspiration and somebody that the kids could see on TV. What motivated you or led you to become a broadcaster with the Big Ten Network? What What was behind that? And I think we got you muted right now. I don't. Sorry, I was coughing. There you go. No, you good. You good. <laughs> Jeez, Dalton, let him cough. <laughs> well, he he did the responsible thing. I couldn't tell he was coughing because he was muted. He's, he's a pro at this. Well, and he's a pro because again, we were just talking to Ray Fell about your your Big Ten broadcasting career with the B, with BTN. What led you to decide? Hey, this is a lane I want to kind of dabble with. I want to see what happens here in broadcasting. What drove you there? Now I wanted to stay in basketball. I wanted to stay in hoop and it was a homecoming and um, I was at paint's house. I stayed with paint for the homecoming and I went up and we were talking and paint at this point, Hey, he had already offered me. Uh, <laughs> I think I was um, going to be a GA with DJ bird that those two years. And then I was going to be a GA with PJ the year Grady was. So he had already offered me two GA spots. And at the time, like I said, I had to, I, my daughter was born my sophomore year in college. So for me, it's different to take a GA spot after she was three when I graduated and had a good job. It was telling her mom that I was now I was gonna be broke again. Just wouldn't have went over right, I guess. So so and I was already moved I had already moved to Atlanta. It just didn't work out financially, but and just strategic. It just didn't work out. But so and mm-hmm. paint is the type of guy where I knew that offer wasn't coming again. I thought it wasn't coming a second time, but he loves me and I love him. So he asked me a second time. And then the third, I guess we were just chilling at his house, sitting outside, sitting outside the house. It's late at night. I just got back. I don't know where I was. I just got back to Paint's house. And he was just sitting out, like Paint just to be sitting outside his front house, like in a lawn chair. And like a <laughs> look like he's in a baseball game, but at the front of his house. He just sit there. And so I was walking into the house and it's like an uncle and it just stops you. and was like, yo, sit down. And we sat down. We His wife was there and we just talked. And he was like, what do you want to do? And do you see yourself doing this pharmaceutical sales thing, whatever? Why don't you get in basketball? And I was kind of like, I don't know what to do in basketball. I saw that I was already training kids and doing stuff like that. And he said it to me, he said, broadcasting. He said, try to get broadcasting. And that's kind of 
the nugget. He, he just dropped the nugget. And then so I spent the next, this was back in 2018. So I spent the next six months. I mean, I reached out to Robbie. I reached out to every SEC network, Big Ten network. Sent email. I was calling the 800 numbers. I was doing little things to try and get my foot in the door. It just didn't work out. And then um, like I asked Robbie to put my name. I put a word in. He said he did, and obviously. And you fast forward a year and a half later, um, the Big Ten reached out to me. And they asked me, like, would I be interested? Would I be interested in auditioning or whatnot? And I, obviously I was, but then COVID hit. So yeah. it was over with. I didn't, and the it's a it's um high level stuff. So it wasn't like they let me know, oh, maybe next year. There's just kind of communications ended. And I would, I would keep, I'm annoying. So I would keep reaching out. I would, every two months, I would. Uh, ask them they needed something. I even asked can I start them a podcast. Can I do anything for the network? I just want to be a part. And then um, they, nothing ever came up from that. And then that next summer, they randomly invited me to audition in August. I went up, did the audition. I think it was the last week of October, right before the season start. They uh, asked me, could I do some dates? And I did, um, I think I had three, four dates for November. And then um, just those four dates turned into more dates and I turned it to the guy that if they needed me, I was never going to say no. I was never going to be sick. I didn't miss anything. And if somebody could make it, I would. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's um a lot of fun being on that side of it. I mean, I've you don't get to meet the coaches much when you're a player. And so you have like a um you just kind of your judgment is based on the game, how they act during the game. You don't really see them much. So during as in this role, like a Tom Izzo, like I've just gain so much more respect for Izzo and just the behind the behind the scenes things he does for his players even I mean the the way he treats the media and someone I've learned through this gig that someone in his position of his stature doesn't have to do some of the little things he does so I I I, I really appreciate the way he goes about it the new coaches Brad John- Johnson and you see coach Shrews get a gig I was recruited by Coach Shrew. So, I mean, it's just been a lot of fun to kind of navigate and get through it. It was stressful, Let's... though, at first. I will say the, the light being <laughs> on and look, knowing, which, <laughs> knowing which camera to look at, knowing sorry, when them talking in your ear, stuff like that. It, but I, it was it was fun to get through it. Well, I've got some Shrews questions, but let Sam jump in here. I'm sure Sam's got a couple of questions being a Purdue fan as well. Well, my first thing I want to say to you, Rafael, is you made the wise choice of going to Purdue rather than IU. <laughs> Just saying. Um. <laughs> my siblings, my two siblings both graduated from IU. So I, um, one, one of my sisters, when she moved, <laughs> we moved her in. This is when I realized I wasn't going to IU. We moved her in. She's older than me. I was in like seventh grade, sixth grade. We moved her into her dorm. And I threw up in the parking lot of that little grocery store. And I was like, I hate it here. And that's when I realized I can't go here. <laughs> that's kind of like me and chocolate cake. I don't like chocolate cake because I got sick on, you know, having eaten it, you know, prior. Yeah. I got sick later and then I just, my brain said, nope, yep. don't like it anymore. That's me. Yeah. Um, what I, what I wanted to ask you is, is. This coming up basketball season, uh, IU unfortunately is kind of that. Is, are they still the the leader in the preseason thought of them being the front runner for the for the title? I would say in the Big Ten this year. Yeah, I guess you have to have a front runner. I mean, I guess you have to, but I don't think there is one. 
I mean, but you guess you have to choose somebody. I guess if you was had to have a gun to my head and I had to choose somebody, I mean, I wouldn't want everybody has question marks. Like even IU being a front runner, like who's gonna shoot the ball? I mean, mm-hmm. it's the same mm-hmm. team from last year. That's why they're the front runner, but also with that, they couldn't make shots last year. So is Miller Cop gonna step up? No, they have a five-star freshman coming in. I don't like to talk about freshmen much just because they haven't played yet, but they got to find somebody to consistently make shots from perimeter and not just throw it in the TJD, pass it out, catch and shoot. They got to have someone coming off screens, misdirections, adding that component to their offense. They didn't have that last year. But their defense, I would say their defense steps them above everybody else just because of their athleticism at the front court. And then the way Xavier Johnson finished the season, he finished the season, I think, averaging 19 and 7. And he went on. He had a really bad stretch after that Northwestern game when he was benched. And then he went on just absolutely just, I mean, he put he pushed them into the NCAA tournament. TJD came alive in the tur- in the Big Ten tournament, but those games leading into that, Javier Johnson was was carrying them. So you get those two guys back, I think they'd be good. But if they can't make shots, it'd be the same thing. It'd be the same season. It's gonna come down to making shots. Race Thompson's gonna have to add a little 15-foot jump shot. TJD's gonna have to add a little jump shot. They just gotta get better spacing. But the defense. I believe the defense will be there. I think Purdue will be – I don't know if the record will be, but this may sound weird because this is – sounds dumb that I say it like that. But I think Purdue may be better than last year as a team. I think now they got guys that if you don't play D, you're going to come out the game. I think last year was more of a um, – and I've been on basketball teams before. If you're really good, you get to decide when you play defense. If I'm – they had a few guys on that team that – they knew they were going to get their minutes every single night, no matter how they played or if they played deep. And sometimes you have that type of team, it bleeds through to everybody else. So I think with this year's team, not as if guys will be looking over their shoulder, but you're going to know that if I don't play D, I'm coming out. And it's going to have a stronger intensity on like the actual Purdue jump to the ball, stay on your line, be in the right position, help side D. I think the help side D was terrible last year. And I think it's just called all, all want to. And I think this year, those guys have to, like if one of the freshmen want to see the floor, the defense is going to have to be perfect. If you got, I mean, you think about Waddell, if he wants, their defense is just going to be perfect. Or I've been one, like I've seen Dakota be a freshman or a sophomore and miss a defense assignment. And those minutes are limited in the next couple of games. You got to earn it back. And last year, I don't think they had that. I think they had their, their guys. They were going to play. Everybody knew. And it just was what it was. And I think this year, the ball will move a little more. You won't. I mean, I'm not really worried about the any point guard situation because it's not like Purdue point guards average eight, nine assists a game. I mean, you average four assists at Purdue, you're probably gonna lead the team in assists. So <laughs> you get. I think the ball will move and the ball will flow, and it just. I think it'd be a lot more buy-in, and I think it's better leadership. Not to say that there wasn't. I mean, I, I, I'm gonna say it. I went to Purdue. There wasn't great leadership in the locker room. You could tell on the floor. The guys didn't really have somebody that could look to and listen to. I think now I think um, you get a guy like Mason Gillis, like being more vocal. You already look and look at him, and he's forceful by looking at him. He's intense, but now him being more vocal, guys are listening. And Brandon Newman, Ethan Morton, they're a little older. I think I think they felt the disappointment of last year, so I think they'll step it up this year. And then you got Iowa be really good with um, McCaffrey and uh, Chris Murray, Chris Murray and, uh, yeah. Perkins. So I think the league just across Michigan State has guys. Illinois has a lot of guys at the same yeah. position. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> how they work that out, how they move the ball. Because I mean, with that too, 
a lot of some of those guys were almost the guy at their school, and now they're transferring to be the guy. So yeah. you have a few guys that's expecting to be the guy, and then you also have Coleman Hawkins returning. And it's just they have a lot of talent, but they all play the same position. It feels like so we'll see how that works. But I think everybody has question marks, and I think that bodes for a good league. It won't be overhyped. You might have two teams in top twenty-five, which is going to be good for the league. Three teams maybe you get, which is so there won't be a lot to oversell. So I think the I think the league is in a good position. Oh, Rayfeld, do you got time for two or three more questions, and then we'll, we'll get you out of here? Can we squeeze two or three more? Oh, yeah, that's cool. Okay. okay. Um, just want to make sure you had nothing else uh, after this, because I told you 25, and of course we went longer than that. Uh, but <laughs> you heard there, yeah, I know, Rayfeld talking really prideful of defense, right? Because, I mean, it's Purdue, it's it's what he knows. But from what I understand, Rayfeld, that wasn't always the case. When you showed up in West Lafayette, that uh, – Defense was something that was maybe a harsh welcoming from Coach Shrews that you talked about there. Can you explain what happened when you got onto campus at West Lafayette and how you became the defender you were? I wasn't even Coach Shrews. It was Coach Paint. I remember we were in practice. I think I scored on DJ Bird, and Coach O was my coach. Like, the assistant at the time was my coach. He starts hyping me up, whatever. I could score the ball. I'm a freshman. That's what I do in high school. And Paint just is like, he uses different words, but he he does he uses he uses like I said different words, but he alludes to me not playing defense. <laughs> and at that moment, I realized that oh, that matters here because I on an Italy trip went to Italy my freshman year, and I started. I was MVP of the trip. I thought I was going to come home and be the next Etwan Moore and score all the points. And then I realized that help side defense matters. And I I mean a lot of it is me, I guess, but a lot of it isn't me because. You look at my high school career, I had four different high school coaches in four different years. Wow. And I think my junior year, Southside was 30. So nobody really ever asked me to play defense. In my freshman year, Southside won four games. My sophomore year, we were pretty good. My junior year, we won six games. We beat the same team three times. So then Lalamere, we were really good at Lalamere. But just my background as far as winning and understanding defense and what really mattered, what it took, I didn't have that. And it took a while. I didn't play much. I wanted to transfer. My dad wouldn't let me. Um, I, I, I didn't have nowhere to go either, honestly. It wasn't like a real one to transfer. It's kind of like, I, I don't like this. And he kind of like, well, because we committed so early. My dad had loved paint. He loved Coach Owens. He loved the staff. It was like family. So it was kind of like, they got you. Figure it out. And then, I, I mean, I was so bad on defense, I started playing power forward. I was guarding Adrian Payne and Derek Nix and played Michigan State. Like, it was crazy. Mbakwe from Minnesota is like, Mm-hmm. that's how bad I was guarding guards. <laughs> so my dream, it got to my end of sophomore year. We were last place in the Big Ten, so the coaches didn't care anymore. I mean, it was kind of like, it is what it is at this point. And um, Coach Owens told me I was the worst defender he had recruited, and I was his first ever recruit. <laughs> it was his first year at Purdue. I was his first commit, first ever recruit. I was his guy. So I knew it, I knew it was out of love, but he told me that straight up, and that's why I wasn't playing the minutes I wanted to play or whatever, whatever. So, Gavin Roberts, the strength coach at the time, I did some yoga and Pilates. We just got better hips wise, flexibility wise, and we had five freshmen coming in that next year. I did want Dakota to take my spot. Coach B, Coach Brantley, every day that summer going into my junior year, he would tell, he would ask me, he would pick a different guy. He'd be like Ray, we're gonna guard Terran Petway next season, the freshman. He'd be like, who's going to guard D'Angelo Russell? It's a freshman coming in Ohio State, D'Angelo Russell. Who's going to guard him? And he would say, 
who's going to guard James Blackman Jr.? Or he would say just different things. like, And the James Blackman, would, that would get me because we grew up together. But then he would say just different guys. Every At that point, every school had a guy. Like you think about Karis LeVert, DJ Newble, Frank Kaminsky. I mean, there was no – Iowa had Aaron, Aaron White and Jerry Utoff. There was no slouch. I mean, I mean Melo Trimble at Maryland. It just was guys Athlete. everywhere. So – yeah, it was just it was just that year in the Big Ten was tough. So it was one of those things that pride came into it, and you just don't want to get embarrassed. You had Ravante Rice at Illinois that talked a lot of trash. So it just was a lot of uh, pride that went into it too, and it's turned into turned into something I could tell the kids too because you don't have to. I think I averaged like six points, eight points in my career. You don't have to be like the leader scorer to be a fan favorite or be a guy that is remembered by your school, respected. I mean, you just have to play hard, do your job, and be a good person. And I think that's what we did. Well, I can remember during your career, like at the at the back end of, of your career at Purdue, uh, it was always Rafael is guarding their guy. You know, you 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 were asked to be the shutdown guy. And now you're granted the guy's gonna score points, but you so so you put put the onus on yourself to be the guy on whether or not the other team succeeded. Is that, is that, was that a self drive or was it driven by coach Owens? Um, it was self. It was, well, they would have matchups. I mean, if it was a better, if it was a guard on the team, I normally yeah. go guard the best guard just make right. it because it makes sense. But if we're playing, if we're playing Wisconsin and Frank Kaminsky, I got to, I got to, I got to guard that. So pride stuck in like Siobhan Shields. Like I got to, I got to guard these people. If they get me, they get me. But there's certain games where philosophy is to switch. And I tell Pam, I'm not switching. Like there's no switching on this because he's going to get cooked if we switch. So a lot of it, it was both. So I would say the coaches put a lot of trust in me and I believed in my ability, but I had, I always say this too. Like I'm not going to like act like I was like this great defender. I had, probably the best shot blocker ever in the Big Ten history behind me, A.J. Hammonds. So, yeah. like, if you beat me, Yogi, you're going to run into the seven-foot monster <laughs> of the rim, which you really want. You shoot the pull-up, and the pull-up is a lower percentage shot. So, a lot of that goes into it, too. So, that's why A.J. called me. A.J. is actually the one that told me I wanted the fifth player of the year. He called me. He told me. I said, hello. He said, I, you won my award, punk, and hung up. <laughs> It was like a, I was at dinner, like a five minute conversation. And then I got on Twitter and I saw, but and then that next year he won it. So I called him and I told him the same. I replayed it, but no, nah, it was, um, it was cool. That is so funny. What a great story. And, and before we get you out of here, Ray Fell, I mean, that kind of leads in. You, you have AJ Hammonds being your best blocker. Um, I'm going to ask you some questions here. Rapid fire. It's going to be just names that you can give. You cannot give any context. You oh, can't give any bad. answers. Okay. Sorry. My bad. Real quick before you go. I'm my bad. Yeah. But yeah, I got you. But John Lochte is too. <laughs> this is funny. He, um, I never told him about this, but John Lochte, he was there that year too. It'll be games where. They would, the, I don't know, the statistician or whatever, they would have me guarding who John Octus was guarding. So John Octus doesn't get a lot of credit, but he should because some of those guys that give me credit for guarding, he guarded them. So <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was, uh, but no, I, I, I got you. I'm, waiting, I'm ready for your question. Okay. Okay. So you got AJ Hammonds being best blocker, best yeah. shooter you either played with or played against. Tyler Halls from BYU. Best passer you played with or against. 
D'Angelo Russell. Best teammate you played with or against? Or I suppose just with there. That only makes sense. Best as talent-wise or favorite? Uh, favorite. Just as a, an actual person, actual teammate. John Noctis. Best defender you played with or against? With A.J. Hammonds against... Hmm. I can't get that to nobody. I say <laughs> There was was there nobody that was hardest to score on as as an opponent. Um, I mean, we think individually at that time. You had like I'll say Aaron Craft, Aaron Craft, yeah, Aaron Craft. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, hardest guy you had to guard. Hmm, I'm still gonna say, I'm say DJ Newbull. DJ Noble. Okay. It was tough. And best game you had as a Boilermaker? Hmm. Best best moment, I guess, game. Best game moment would be um yeah, we can go with that. I'll give you two, but I'll give you I want to give you three, but but um I go IU at Mackey. That was just the um that was my junior year. Okay. We swept them that season, and that was kind of the turnaround season. It was just that was a great year. Um, Iowa at Mackey. That was also that same year. I hit a three with like 30 seconds to go, kind of sealed the game. That was that was one of those games we hadn't beat them to that point. And then um, Michigan State. That my senior year. That was just. That was just I knew that's where you were going to land. Somebody asked yeah. me about that game at, at the gas station yesterday. It was one of those things that that <laughs> game would just live forever, I guess. <laughs> but something yeah. about that game was that game. I was six for eight in the first half. I think I had like 18 points. I made my five threes or whatever. The next day, Pink comes to me, Ray, you were eight for 24 for the game. I don't think a lot of people realize that. My first half was unbelievable. My second half, I was so tired. It was terrible. I was like guarding full court. I was, but we ended up winning. I hit the free throw, but, but Pink always will. He'll humble you real quick. He'll, he'll take you off that high. It was the very next day. He'll take off your high points quick, but no, nah, that was, um, those would be my favorite three. Yeah, you yeah, walk for, in like, yep. Yeah, hey, you were eight for twenty-four. Oh crap! Yeah, exactly. Everything was like normal. For what it's worth, I don't even remember the second half. I just remember that being the first half. So yeah, the, the story tell, sticks. I always tell the kids they're not gonna remember the ones you missed, just the ones you hit. All right, as we get Rayfell out of here, I I've buried this for the the whole time. Uh, Rayfell and I actually were teammates for one of the fall ball leagues he was talking about in Fort Wayne. Yeah. Uh, it was going into my freshman year. We might have been the same age, or you might have been one year older than me. I don't know if Rayfell remembers this as much, but this was a moment that like is embedded in my like basketball brain. But so we're we're on the court together, and he was six three with a mustache in eighth grade. I was freshman year five foot eight and about a hundred pounds soaking wet like I was a late bloomer and I remember like this is the first taste a little bit of high school basketball getting ready for the year and I'm like okay okay like a little nervous like I'm not exactly sure what to expect and so ball gets thrown in and I'm, I'm guarding this guy after I check in and uh, I'm, I'm like okay just stay in front stay in front and I could start to see how quick how much more quick the game was going to be and the dude just instantly beat me off the dribble one step. And I'm like, it's been one dribble. Like, how am I blowing this already? So I'm like trying to stay with him down the lane because I'm like, I can't mess this up already. And out of nowhere, I hear, give me that. 
And then I just see the ball volleyball spike against the far wall in the space field house. And I turn around like what God just came out of the air and just sent it out of the gym. And it was Rafael Davis. And like, it was as confident and as stoic as he could be. I was like, Oh my God, there's levels to basketball. That's funny, man. That's hilarious. I'm sure you don't remember that because you had so many of those, but that was my first taste of high school basketball and you saved my tail. So thank you all these years later, Rafael. And I appreciate that being a defensive memory. I didn't have many of those in high school. That is dope. That is cool. I appreciate that. You got to send me that clip. You got to clip that. (laughs) Yeah, I'll try to find that. But anyway, Rafael Davis, a Big Ten basketball broadcast with Bigger Than Basketball, Purdue basketball yeah. alum. We want to thank you so much for the time. You've been very gracious, very generous. We'd love to have you on again sometime, maybe during the season in shorter fashion. We'll be more respectful of the time and uh, talk some Big Ten hoops. But, Rafael, this has been tremendous. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for coming on today. Uh, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Rafael Davis, Purdue basketball alum, Big Ten Network broadcaster, and all around, just a pretty good dude, as you could tell there from that conversation we just had with Rafael Davis. All right, let's uh, go ahead. We're running a little late here in the first half. Let's hit the halftime break, and we'll get ready to talk some Big Ten TV contract yeah. on the other side. All right. You are listening to Big Ten Plus Four, hosted on Anchor and StreamYard. Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm John. And we host the Beard Owl Podcast, the podcast where we talk about two of the greatest things in the world, beer and Weird Al. And a bunch of other stuff. That's right. Do you like nostalgia? Do you like sibling banter? Do you like beer? Do you like Weird Al? Are you human? If you answered yes to any of those questions, give us a listen. Become one of our loyal commenters. Hey you there, we've got a question for you. Are you tired of clickbait stories and the loudest voices driving discussions in culture and entertainment? If so, I'm Dylan. I'm Kendall. And I'm Corey. And we host the podcast From the Middle. We're middle-class guys living in the middle of America, in the middle chapters of our lives with points of view somewhere in the middle. We take a more reasonable and centrist approach in our discussions covering genres like comedy, culture, entertainment, and interviews with really interesting folks like business owners, comic creators, doctors, news anchors, New York Times best-selling illustrators, professional stand-up comics, and more. We really value a relaxed and conversational podcast, one that we hope is so fun and laid back, you'll forget you're not actually hanging out with us. So search at From the Mid Pod, just like it sounds, or check us out everywhere you can find podcasts. Hey! Watching your face put that together. (laughs) I was determined this time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was good stuff. No better way to start off the third quarter, the second half. Again, big thanks again to Rayfield Davis. Absolutely. That was amazing. He's just uh, very down to earth, and it was uh, great catching up with Ray Fell. Um, All right, we need to talk some Big Ten TV contract. We're hoping to get to maybe a couple other things as well in this segment, but it depends how quickly we can work through this. Yeah. Beast of a contract, a historic deal in college rights. The Big Ten signs a TV deal worth more than $7 billion, climbing closer and closer to $8 billion over a seven year period between Fox, 
CBS, and NBC. That means the Big Ten will not be on ESPN for the next seven years during this deal. That ends a 40-year-plus relationship between the Big Ten and ESPN. And now you start welcoming in CBS to a bigger extent where football games are going to be on CBS. You welcome in NBC where NBC is getting involved with football besides Notre Dame. They've wanted to for some time. Here they're finally in the game, and they're going to have some nighttime, primetime games with the Big Ten. So, And I know you're ready to jump in, and there's a lot to talk about here. But for the Big Ten Saturday schedule, just so you all the listeners can kind of retain this, you're going to start off noon at Fox for the big Big Ten game. Afternoon, you're going to have CBS with that just beautiful theme music with Big Ten football. And then at nighttime, you'll have NBC and Big Ten football. So it's it's going to be a, an adjustment, but I think it's going to be great. My point, well, you saw me moving my finger when you were starting to talk about it, and I saw the video CBS posted, and I, you're abs- that was exactly – we're still in sync here because the theme song that they play for football is amazing. And when you throw Big Ten highlights with it, it gave me goosebumps and got me excited. I'm like, come on, let's play now. Let's do this now. Let's do this now. Because I love that theme song. Oh, it's beautiful. That's a good rendition. Big Ten to it. Oh, I'm so excited about that part. One of my favorite things was, I think it was Ben Stevens. I want to give him the proper credit on Twitter. He took the theme music and... (laughs) He just took a bunch of Big Ten teams lining up with two or three tight ends. Like, not even football. <laughs> like, no no action. He just took formations. And it's like the most Big Ten thing possible. I think I saw somebody else just took a bunch of punts and put that with the CBS <laughs> music. And I'm like, this is, this is just going to be perfect. Here's the thing. We love the Big Ten, but we're totally not oblivious to kind of that stigma that that they carry i mean Uh when when it's three cloud or three yards in a cloud of dust is basically the mantra for the entire conference since my entire life uh you know that it's funny you know if you can't laugh at yourself then there's problems you know well then then you see ohio state come in and they're averaging 47 points a game this year so (laughs) Great. Well, uh, I, I'm I'm still going to stand by the fact that Joe Tiller is the one that changed kind of the the uh, the overall idea of what to do in Big Ten football because he did the basketball on grass back in the in the 90s. He definitely was it, ahead of his time. Definitely right, was right. And, you know when Drew Brees is throwing 54 times a game and that was unheard of in <laughs> Big Ten play. Uh, I not not that he is the only one that did it, but he was the one that kind of started it, and then everybody kind of thought, "Hey, this is working. We need to do this more." There's there's a quote of him where he's uh, he's talking about it or whatever, and somebody was asking him about, you know, do you get the run game going a little bit more to get balance? And and he started to get frustrated as he was answering the question. And I'm I'm going to paraphrase here, but he said something like, "Everybody gets so hung up about balance. Don't get hung." But he goes, "I don't care. We will throw the ball as many times as we need to to win the football game. I don't care about balance." And he said, "If you can forget about balance, your your coffee will taste a little bit better in the." morning everything will be (laughs) and it's just this great quote and it's so joe tiller it's it's phenomenal well and and uh, what a lot of people don't didn't realize even back then was yeah they were throwing it but a a lot of times those bubble screens even though they were passes they were Mm -hmm. essentially a sweep run 
They were right. just getting it out there quicker to where, you know, the receiver, Vinny Sutherland or whoever was getting the ball in his hands quickly and trying to hit the hole. That So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of led, you know, they were running, but it was on a pass play. You right know, so let's get back to the tv deal we've uh sidetracked a little bit <laughs> yeah got a couple things here we'll talk about some of the streaming we'll talk about uh but i, I guess where i want to start and excuse me with the escalator clause that was in this contract mm-hmm. excuse me um Goodness. i know i'm really working through it here i'm <laughs> fighting tears um the escalator clause says uh if the big 10 expands its membership that number that's currently sitting north of seven billion dollars could work its way up to ten billion dollars so now there are sources close to the big 10 conference and reports are out there that the big 10's not done expanding they are hunting for some more members to add in here because if they add more in they already have word from the tv partners that the jackpot will increase. Remember, we had this conversation weeks ago, Sam, where we're like, well, who else would the Big Ten want to add in? And not many besides Notre Dame made a lot of sense because you didn't think the, the ticker would move. Well, TV networks must be saying that the, the ticker will move. We'll add more money to the pot mm-hmm. if you can add more teams into your conference. So the Big Ten is looking around to see maybe who they can't jump in here to to get up to $10 billion for this contract, which is massive. And and it does mean that conference realignment is not done yet. Two things that I want to say really quickly, or mm-hmm. one is a question to you about the escalator clause. Does it, pred- is it predicated on who it is or is it just the more teams, the more money? I don't believe those details are out. And by the way, that report is by Brett McMurphy with action network yeah. just to give him credit. Because honestly, if I mean, so this is all predicated on a 16 team conference, the seven north of seven billion dollars. Correct. So which, by the way, sorry to, to take no, the pause fine. button on you, but we still have to see if 16 officially happens. John Wilner, who is the guy out west, uh, the great reporter who actually broke the story of USC and UCLA coming to yep. the Big Ten. He actually uh, tweeted about this and wrote a story, I think, yesterday where uh, the UC regents are trying to block. UCLA from going to the Big Ten. And it turns out as you dig through the contracts, they're actually written authority to be able to do that if if they so please. He kind of ballparked the number uh, that it's not likely that they block it, but there's like a 10 to 15% chance they could, which is definitely north of zero, which means it's possible UCLA gets blocked in their pursuit to the Big Ten Conference. That's something to pay attention to as we move forward, but continue on, if, USC if and UCLA. If, if that's the case, if that's the case, then does the Big Ten just, because USC is private, so they don't have to be okay to leave. Correct. I I imagine I I'm I'm curious why it was my first question too, and I don't have an answer yet. I I think that I thought I read somewhere that they are a private school, so they they aren't. Uh, I think I was reading it about the governor, Governor Newsom. Yeah, had, was was talking about you know demanding UCLA explain. First of all, no. Um, but anyways, <laughs> uh, but I think I read that UC or U, USC doesn't have to follow that 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 clause or whatever that law because they're a private school so it's a different different thing okay but um and i forget what my second point was earlier i just uh, um oh no i remember i did the the math on just seven billion flat mm-hmm. seven billion and went 20 teams in you know taking into consideration that the big 10 adds four more teams 
that's still like upwards of $300 million over the course of that, of that uh, contract. Mm-hmm. And I'm for each team. That's and that's, that and and your seven bill would be a higher number. At correct. This I didn't know about the escalator clause when I when I did that math. So it could be it's even more. Now I know Notre Dame gives up money to stay independent, mm-hmm. but when is enough for them? That's when, my big question. When is it? What what's the price number? Because they're sitting there, and the reports are that Notre Dame and NBC it looks like sixty mil a year is what they're going to agree to. 60 million a year. Notre Dame, when they first came out, admits all this circus numbers being tossed around, said, hey, we want 75. If they're willing to settle for 60, while the Big Ten between Fox, CBS, and NBC is going to get $7 billion, and nearly $8 billion, we believe, over the course of seven years, like they're watching $40, $50 million extra just float by. And they're just saying, we don't need that. What if that number was 80 million? What if that number gets up to 100 million extra that they're just watching go by so they can have their independence? And I understand from a pride, from a value and institution standpoint, independence is a big deal for Notre Dame. They love the idea of scheduling freedom, which also I question how much freedom there is if everybody else is handcuffed in this mega conference deal with the TV contracts where they're talking about too, hey, we want to get Michigan back to playing Notre Dame since we're all a part of the NBC family now, right? Like we let's make these matchups happen. Like there's reports that that's a thing. Mm -hmm. So Notre Dame's already being kind of pushed in certain directions. You don't have the same independency you once did. And I question how much more you have moving forward, especially as all of this is happening over on the other side, the college football playoff regents are, are having a meeting without or just talking about moving forward without the NCAA mm-hmm. because we know they're already a, a group and organization that kind of funnels in and structures its own postseason system. Well, what if they just take over college football altogether? That's one of the questions being asked right now as well. So if they form this new structure and it's all about conferences because we got all these mega conferences, where's Notre Dame? Like, well- how does that work? That's my question because you know you get these mega conferences with twenty, maybe even thirty teams. By the time you get to, you know, brass tacks and down to it all, those conferences are going to going to want to have almost a full schedule of conference games because mm-hmm. they're so big. You don't want to play seven or eight conference games of a thirty-team conference. And you don't see a team for five years, yep. but they're in your conference. So they're going to want that flow. 12 teams. Okay, there's you're going to play 12 games. All 12 of them are against, in this case, Big Ten teams. And they're and it will rotate because there's going to be eight other teams if you get to 20. Eight other right. teams you don't play every year. So you've got to rotate them through. So, okay, that doesn't leave any room for Notre Dame. And I don't... It was great for the past because conferences, the Big Ten actually had only 10 teams before 1991. They actually only had 10 teams. So Purdue would play eight conference games. There's one team they didn't play. Yep. That's it. And then they had their other three, at the time, three games that they got to play Notre Dame and then two uh, agricultural schools that barely have a football team. You know know how how they would do it. That doesn't leave a lot of room for Notre Dame. So I right. that's the thing of the past. 
you, you know, you can still, it, maybe they work it into the case of, you know, we're going to join, but, you know, you can decide three or four of our games, but we get to schedule our others or whatever. You know, there's ways to work it. I know I saw uh, Tony shared with me that there was a rumor that Notre Dame was even throughout the idea of we'll join the, the Big Ten, but it, we cannot play on Friday because that's our Catholic holy day. Mm. Because now the big Big Ten plays Friday night football games That's at least right. one a week or whatever. So the I mean, and so it was almost like they were negotiating, trying to figure out what would fit for them. They I I don't know Dalton. I I have heard everybody say you know this this deal with NBC just opens the door for Notre Dame to stay independent. I don't see it because mm-hmm. these mega conferences are getting to the point where they're going to want most of, if not all of their schedule to be a conference game. And, and cause I agree with you and maybe it allows them to be independent for the moment, but by the time yeah. this TV contract expires after the, the next seven years, I think we're talking eight years from now because we have one last right. year of the current deal. Um, I I'm, I'm curious what happens because you're right. We're talking about the independence for Notre Dame is shrinking while the money they're missing out on is inflating. And at some point, there's a pinch. At some point, there's a spot where they say, you know what, this independence isn't as worth it, even though it's so valuable, but the money we're missing is more valuable. At some point, there is that that fine line, that that part that breaks open. I'm curious to see what that is. Um, By the way, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, even if it's something to where, you know, they're in the middle of their NBC contract, let's say, Notre Dame, and they decide, you know, we're really missing out on on more money. I'm sure the Big Ten, at least for the life of the contract that they're in the middle of, let's say, mm-hmm. would say, you know, negotiate to where you get to keep at least a portion of the extra. You know, yep. say it's eighty million or sixty million a year. You keep forty five on top of your Big Ten share, but you throw fifteen back into the pot to the Big Ten. That way, it's incentivizing them to make the move. They're seeing the big piece of the pie along with their little extra cut because they good on them for being able to get 60 million a year from a con from a, a network just on their own. Yep. That's great. Here's your here. You keep 45, you give us 15. You're part of the conference. You still get the exclusive games or whatever and go from there. I don't know. I, I just don't see how they stay independent after in the next five years. I just yeah. don't know. Yeah, it, it'll certainly be interesting to watch. Um, I did want to mention the the networks real quick. There's a sure. breakdown, actually, that Brett McMurphy does uh, where and, and by the way, before I even get to this, it's important for listeners to keep in mind. CBS's contract is different than everybody else's involved here because CBS's deal with the SEC doesn't end until 2023, 24. Uh, anyway, so four. Yeah, so besides this year, there's going to be another year where where right. they, they're still with the SEC, and so they're going to kind of have a foot in both ponds, the SEC and the Big Ten, before they leave the SEC to go straight to the Big Ten. Um, so that's something to kind of pay attention to as this kind of moves forward as well. But here's the breakdown of the football games. Uh, this is, again, from Brett McMurphy of Action Network. Fox and FS1 will televise 24 to 27 Big Ten football games in 2023. And from there, they'll do 30 to 32 games annually from 2024 to 29. So Fox and FS1 
gets a good chunk. CBS will televise seven Big Ten football games in 2023. And then from 24 to 29, they'll do 14 to 15. So doubling it uh, as they move forward, because we talked about that kind of splitting their bill in 23. Um, and all, by the way, so for Fox, they're going to be streaming everything, right, with the Big Ten Network. They're going to stream things with FS1 if you're into mm-hmm. streaming. CBS, you'll be able to stream on Paramount Plus for football and basketball <laughs> broadcasts. NBC will televise 16 Big Ten football games annually from 23 to 29, including primetime games on Labor Day Sunday, Black Friday, and they'll all be streamed as well on Peacock. However, here's the thing about Peacock. Peacock will televise eight Big Ten football games annually from 23 to 29. That means it's exclusively streamed. You cannot get it on your actual television you have to stream to get those eight games that'll be played on peacock per year from 23 to 29 so they're getting pay-per-view basically pay-per-view football games peacock. this is where i think eventually all of this heads oh you want to watch michigan ohio state guess what it's 49.95 and they're doing it again this year with notre dame i believe notre dame's home game against unlv is exclusive uh, to, to Peacock. You you cannot get it on NBC. It will be exclusive. On I'm streaming. sure it's not the version of Peacock I pay for. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where eventually we're just going to song and dance ourselves back into what the traditional cable package was where we're paying astronomical yep. amounts for yep. the same content. We're just, we're getting there. Um, and then of course, big 10 networks, yeah. a big part of all of this too. Uh, networks will also televise big 10 women's basketball games and Olympic sporting events as well. Um, so that's kind of the breakdown of how this all will work in this, uh, in, under this umbrella And the, the BTM, by the way, will broadcast 38 to 41 football games in 2023. And they'll do at least that many for the remainder of the TV contract. So I, I, before we move to the the headlines, and I know we've got to go just a little quicker than what we were expecting, but uh, uh, a couple of things that Tony actually sent me, uh, a couple of screenshots, and that so I don't have any sort of uh, reference as to where it came from, but it says with the massive deal finally being done, you know, people are saying, why would the Big Ten get this? The SEC is going to pull so much more in. You got to think about what people are paying for, Okay. Um, the Big Ten has 29.7 million combined people in their market. Just the the big city markets. That's not saying the rural areas or whatever. Is that including the, LA? Uh, getting there. Okay. Well, I, actually, I, I'm not sure about these numbers, but I'll, I'll, I'll I'm moving to the. I've got another thing that I'm looking at. The okay. SEC has 15.3 million think about that so it's not necessarily the product is better the product is reaching more and when you can reach more people you can put more better reach more people with advertisements that means more money so it makes monetary sense that the these three networks poured this much money at a conference that many people say is old and doesn't know how to you know they only ohio state matters you know it doesn't matter they reach people. That's what matters. The second thing I was going to look at is list the markets, the TV markets. Okay. 7 million people in New York belongs to the big 10. Yep. 5.7 million people in LA will soon belong to the big 10. 3.4 million people in Chicago belongs to the big 10. Uh, 
almost 3 million people in Philadelphia belongs to the Big Ten. Those are the top four markets in the country, mm-hmm. and they all belong to the Big Ten. Now, why do we? Why did they get that money? That is telling right there. Yep. Nope, you're 100% right. And, and that's, uh, I mean, that's the big reason for USC and UCLA moving mm-hmm. to the Big Ten. I mean, they, they saw it as a win-win because now the Big right. Ten controls all the biggest markets in the country. And you keep going down the list, Washington, D.C., Detroit. Mm-hmm. Like, you keep hammering down, and you'll see the Big Ten all they over the They have five or six of the top ten markets in the country. It's it's really forward-thinking what the Big Ten did, not just with USC and UCLA, but from the get-go when Delaney was adding in some of those just for TV markets alone. That really was the groundwork to set up this historical moment in collegiate athletics. I, just, but, I, I still would have thought that with Connecticut being so close to New York City, if they would have added UConn, it would probably... But, but I guess maybe since Rutgers is in New Jersey, it's so much closer. I don't know. And Rutgers is better at football than UConn. <laughs> UConn's well, know, definitely a better basketball. Yeah, football-wise. <laughs> and, and, and see, that's what I've got to get in my head is we're talking football drives. Even the worst football programs still drive the bus. Mm-hmm. It's only the few basket elite basketball programs that drive the bus at their university. Yep. You know, that's there's only a few of them. Yep. So. All right, we, we are running a little heavy, so let's go ahead and move to the fourth quarter for our headlines. Yeah. All right, this is the part of the show where we kind of draw out something that was important or standout-ish to us throughout the week. So Sam Sprunger with the Sam Sentinel, what do we got? Yeah. Uh, Monday, we were greeted with the sad news that uh, Hall of Fame and former uh, Princeton head coach Pete Carrill passed away at the age of 92. And uh, Dalton, I don't even know if you were alive the year that they beat the defending national champions in the first round of the tournament. And, uh, that was 1996 when uh, UCLA was the defending champions. I was one. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> you were one. <laughs> but it, what's the big deal about this is a few years before that, uh, he his Princeton team took the what would have been then number one overall seed Georgetown to the wire and only lost to the mighty Hoyas by two points. And it was they had a shot at it and they just didn't make it happen. And, and he he was the the trailblazer of the Princeton offense. And obviously it was named after the fact that he was at Princeton, but it was hustle back screen, get the layup patience and if you don't know who pete carrill is or what he looks like he looks like and and this is not a disrespect but i always i always thought he looked a little like a muppet because (laughs) when he smiled it just lit his face up and it was and i was saddened to hear about pete carrill passing because that just means another great is no longer with us and i kind of like likened him to uh, Louis Carnesecca from from St. John's, uh, just kind of those awesome, great coaches, kind of small in stature. But when he walked in a room, he owned the room. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's not many people that can do that these days uh, to where they can walk in just this really small person. But yet once they walk in, everybody notices them walk in. And Pete Krill didn't win any national championships. He only, from my understanding, won that one tournament game. But when the tournaments were getting rolled out, it was 
is Princeton going to make it from the Ivy League? If they if they won their their conference, it was who gets to play them because they're going to be a tough out. And in 1996, the Princeton offense, and I can remember it, they played in Indianapolis, and I can remember late in the game that backdoor cut, and the guy just puts it right up and lays it off the glass, and you could just see Princeton know that they had it, and Pete Krill's face lit up. And uh, so... It's a sad day, but uh, such a great. If you don't have, don't if you have the chance, go look up some highlights of the Princeton offense. It is an offense that you won't see played anymore because it's not pretty. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not glamorous, but it got the job done. So uh, that's the Sam Sentinel today. A lot of motion, a lot of back cuts. Yeah, the Princeton Princeton offense is a staple in college basketball. When you're For sure, through that time frame. Um, for the Dalton Daily, I wanted to take a look at uh, something that just came out on Netflix recently. Um, we kind of talked about my age there just a moment ago. Back in 2012, uh, during that fall, that was my senior year of high school. Growing up in the state of Indiana, as we talked about at the top of the broadcast, uh, followed Notre Dame football quite a bit. Uh, that's the same year that Notre Dame went undefeated. And it was the first year of relevance, to be honest, for Notre Dame football in my lifetime since I, I'd grown up in Indiana. And it was led by a man named Manti Teo, who would eventually go on for a Heisman campaign, finish up runner-up uh, to Johnny Manziel for the 2012 Heisman. But of course, all of it came crumbling down, as we know, with the catfishing hoax that took place with Manti Teo. There's a documentary that just released on Netflix. It's two parts. Each part is just about an hour. So it's two hours total. And it's uh, part of the Untold series that I know Sam's a fan of, but it's called Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist. Have you had a chance to see this yet, Sam? I have not. I forgot. You'd mentioned it once before, and I'd forgotten about it. So it's now on my list. Make time, because it is simply fascinating. It's... The documentary's done so well, and it walks you through all the different steps and and the context needed to fully understand what was happening at that time. Because once that happened, and the news broke from the Deadspin article, every step just confused you more. As Mm -hmm. more and more came out, you had more questions more than you had answers. And I think for the last 10 years, nobody still really knew what happen because Manti wasn't talking so much about it and I can understand why and Renaya the person who is behind the catfishing hoax wasn't talking about it well Renaya is in this documentary speaking about it Manti Teo is speaking about it and all the questions you have about how this all happens gets answered in this two-part documentary it's a wonderful job by Untold and by Netflix. They they absolutely nailed this one out of the park. And it leaves you feeling uh, a lot of maybe remorse. I, I think if a lot of folks uh, were kind of having fun at Teo's expense, which, I mean, that's kind of society. It's the world today. You're I a think public figure too. So that, that comes with the territory. Absolutely. But I think when that fin- when the documentary finishes, you feel horrible about what he had to go through from uh, just the, the media took it and just spun and ran with it where he's being asked questions on a national show. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you, did you make up this hoax man tie? And did you do it because you're gay? Like that was the actual interview that they played during the documentary. Those were questions that were being asked at this 21 year old man 
who was a victim of a catfishing hoax who really it's it's unbelievable mm-hmm. and and sorry I'll, I'll finish no but no it's, no it's you're a fine story, it's a story of selfishness as one person's trying to find themselves and how it ends up hurting another it is a phenomenal watch make sure you check it out i can remember when that first happened they thought he did it on purpose that's what I mean. And, like and that, when it that, first came out, it was, why would he do something like this just to get more attention? And it's like, even I, who didn't like Notre Dame, was like, eh, let's think about it. It's a little weird, but let's get more information on this before we go casting any <laughs> any yeah. stones here. And, and watch the documentary because I'm, yeah. I'm not lying. Like, he does follow-up interviews. Rodney does interviews with Dr. Phil. Manti does some interviews on a, on a Today Show and different things. And... Manti is asked point blank. Did you create this for your Heisman campaign? Did you ask or did you create this because you're you're secretly gay? Like these were actual questions on microphone that were asked 10 years ago. Wow. Watch it. It's a phenomenal piece. But yeah. uh, so so that's that. That's my little plug for that. That's um, I, I'm excited about it because, like I said, I'm not a Notre Dame fan. I actually dislike them very much, but I always kind of liked him as yep. a player. I like the way he played football. And And when this came out. Uh, I felt bad for him. Don't get me wrong. I laughed at some of the jokes, like the oh meme, no, the meme of a shower it. going and that and nobody in it, and it's like picture of Manti Teo's girlfriend and right. Know. So, but like I said, you know, there to me, there's funny in every situation. That doesn't take the fact that I laughed at that away from the fact that I felt bad for him. Correct. That and my happened. point, my point there wasn't to shame anybody. I no, totally no, understand no, no. that jokes are funny. Jokes are jokes. But I, I think when you walk away from it, you're like, wow, we were really cruel to a young man for why? Like, because we didn't understand Without and we didn't, all the information we didn't understand and we didn't care to understand, which yep. is really what's kind of sad. But yeah. anywho, we're, we're running a little heavy. Sam, <laughs> why don't you uh, get us out of here, letting us know where we can find the podcast that everybody's listening to right now. Yeah. First off, uh, if you're watching the, we're on ASAP network, this is, this is live today and we're on ASAP network. We're streamed every Friday at eight 45. Uh, if you want to uh, watch the or listen to the podcast we're out in at noon on every friday the uh, the same episode that is streamed uh so you can also watch the video on spotify but if you want to get a hold of us they're right up at the top of the of the screen there uh big at big 10 plus four uh spell out plus dalton don't put the plus sign i i know you keep wanting to do that but spell out plus so big 10 plus four also big 10 plus four at facebook um you can put the plus in there for that one uh and then oddpodsmedia.com where you'll find us as well as all of the other odd pods media family of shows uh thanks to asap network we're on there as well like i mentioned before uh i'm having a lot of fun with this dalton i really am yeah no this has been a blast and it was a blast today big thanks to rayfeld davis yeah. for uh stopping in, up and I, did you notice he never said the state for the team he said iu you're right. I think you're onto something here. I, as a good representative of Purdue fans, Sam's right. uh, Sam's killing it here. That's but a right. big thanks to Ray Fell. Um, big thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening. Uh, that's Sam Sprunger. I'm Dalton Shetler. And until next time, we'll talk to you then. See you later.